Welcome to Three Gens Theology. Uh, as we set out to record, uh, to set to to plan when we're going to record these, uh, we try to have an idea of how many uh, how many you know sections we can kind of get through in a week. And this week, you might if you're watching on YouTube, you might notice that none none of us have changed for the last two weeks. Uh, and so we are currently on number three. And those of you who are following along. The last two have been some of our longest podcasts, so we're currently on an hour forty of what should have been one podcast. But for your sakes, we have uh, we split it up into three. Uh, so we're getting into kindness the, on our part. Yeah, there you go. We're, we get, we we care about you so much we that do. we wanted to split it up. Uh, but we are starting off today uh, talking. Uh, we did we just got done uh, talking about canon and and preservation. So we're going to get to Bible translations and criticism today, which we're excited uh, to continue on that. We're gonna. Uh, it's really hard to talk about those without talking about the the other ones. So we're going to do a little bit of. Hopping back and forth, but we're so excited you're listening. Uh, two, three gens. We uh, we see it as a as a necessity to be to be growing in the scripture, uh, and we hope that as as you guys uh, are listening uh, and and uh, and following along, that this would be a benefit to your to your walk, uh, a benefit to uh, to your Christian life. Uh, so we are excited to to get to continue uh, with with uh, in this conversation about Bibles. You know, uh, as I was thinking about being on three weeks in a row with this same uh, podcast subject material, I chose well what to wear because I got to advertise for my university all three uh, all three weeks here, advertising for Cedarville. So um, you didn't get to advertise for Bedrock University uh, there, Jim. <laughs> You and you and Fred uh, didn't. You Fred know, and I you, you uh, and Fred, really had a great time together. That's, that's right, school. Bedrock Christian. For, anyway, for all of our younger listeners, that's a, uh, a Fred Flintstone Flintstone, Flintstone. <laughs> reference. That's right. I, I think Grandpa's going to come in with like a you know BBC hat on and uh, yeah, that's and, right. Uh, he's he's going to have different different uh, alumni attire for that's all right. of his different colleges. Oh, that's right. Unfortunately, well, two of my earlier schools no longer exist, so I don't think I can advertise for them. I'm either. I'm holding back the joke. <laughs> yes. I, I'm not making the There's joke. So many so many things to say. Verifying, there. no joke was made there. So many things. Uh, let's uh, before we jump in, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we can come before you. Uh, we do thank you for your word. I pray that you might uh, help us as we talk about it to only lift it higher in our estimation that we would see its truth as so valuable in our lives. And uh, Lord, help us as we speak of it today, uh, that you would uh, use this discussion to encourage believers, uh, to encourage us in, in our um, taking in of your truth and applying in our life. Thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to apologize to you for the sheer mass of difficult things that we had to talk about last time. Uh, if there were some confusions that resulted uh, in your minds, we would sure appreciate your get, letting us know yeah. so we can respond to them. Uh, one thing I'd like to do then is to kind of draw our discussion of preservation to an end because I want to make sure that everyone goes away from that session uh, and starts this one with a confidence in the Word of God that it is truly God's word, that we have in our hands that which can be trusted and depended upon. The most important conclusions we can make concerning preservation are the following. 
the sheer number of, of manuscripts of all the books of the Bible argues that God has preserved his word. The testimony of the agreement between ancient translations of the Bible, the church fathers who quoted the scriptures that existed uh, when they wrote early in the early centuries of the new church, and other texts like lectionaries, uh, collections of scriptures, all of these things when looked at together, all the translations that were made, uh, all of these other items help us to be confident that what we have is in fact a, an agreement of sources that make us feel confident that the scriptures are in fact God's word as he would have us to know them. I gave you a statistic last time of the 99.8% accuracy of the typical manuscript. While a text is perf a perfect representation of the original autographs, and uh, that's what our ideal would be, we don't have that, but God has given us his infallible scriptures through, in, through fallible human beings in such accuracy that we can be confident that we actually have the word of God in our hands. The language of the Bible does not claim that there is one text or version of the scriptures that's preserved by God without error. God has not committed himself to miraculously preserving the Bible so that one manuscript or transcript translation is perfect. What he has given us, however, through the sheer magnitude of what he has given us in these manuscripts of both the Old and New Testaments is assurance that we have available to us texts that can be uh, used with confidence as being, in fact, God's word. Much of what appears uh, above is crucial in understanding this whole problem of translations. Translations are either based upon Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. Anything that is done by a language, say a, another uh, version comes out, that version is based upon one of those original texts, the Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic, or it's based upon a translation that has been made from one of those languages. Paraphrases have been produced. What is a paraphrase? Well, to put it very simply, a paraphrase is putting your own thoughts alongside of the content of Scripture. It becomes a kind of commentary right. on Scripture. And as a result of that, it doesn't necessarily claim at all to be a word-for-word -word translation of the Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek. It is actually one man's or a group of individuals' ideas about how that particular text could be expressed or explained or understood. And when you have that understanding, they can be really helpful. Yes. Um, you know, I think some of the paraphrases of Scripture have been really put down mm -hmm. by, by um, really conservative people. And in a sense, you do want to downgrade them because they're not really translations. 
but they can be beneficial because you would read you would read someone's commentary. Yes, you would read someone's commentary and and acknowledge what they've said about the scripture, mm-hmm. and a paraphrase when it is viewed that way can be really beneficial. Um, some some of the uh, writings and paraphrases give such a beautiful picture, a better picture than I had on my own mm-hmm. of of sections of scripture. Yeah, right. And and uh, so I think paraphrase, while we need to view it correctly. That it's not tra- really a translation can still be really beneficial to believers. Absolutely. Even uh, I, I believe it's the message, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, the one of the uh, one of those was written was a college prof who was taking scripture and wanted his daughter to be able to understand it. His his young daughter, and so as as he would ride into work. On the train every every day, he would go through scripture and rewrite it for mm-hmm. his for his child, mm-hmm. so they could understand it, you know, better. Uh, and that's how I believe it's the message that was that was made that way, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, you know, we we see the see the value of that in in helping to understand, you know, different things. It, I, like we're saying, we don't see it as you know, it's obviously not taken from the Greek, uh, but it is it is helpful. Yeah, right. I I was actually in a situation one time where I was speaking from a uh, a New King James Version. And I was explaining something, and later on someone asked me um, if I was using a different translation. And they were basing that upon the fact that uh, my explanation wasn't identical with the text of the King James Version. Well, what I was doing, obviously, was explaining. And anytime we explain the text of the Bible, it, in a sense, becomes a kind of paraphrase. Right. Uh, I am not claiming it to be a translation. I'm claiming it to be an explanation. Right. Yep. There is something that has come into the language of describing Scripture, especially in the 20th century, that I think would be good for us to think about. And that's called dynamic equivalence. Dynamic equivalence is not based strictly on the question of um, is this the closest possible translation that I can make uh, of the Greek or the Hebrew text. It's based more along the, the lines of how does translation work? What is it that we're actually translating? Are we translating words? Are we translating sentences? Are we translating paragraphs? And the answer, of course, to that is yes. (laughs) We're translating all three. But in the concept of dynamic equivalence, we're, we're really sort of countering the other basic concept of translation, which is formal equivalence. Let me see if I can kind of make that clear. Formal equivalence has the idea, as you might imagine from the beginning of the word form, it, it sort of sets the original language side by side with the translation language and tries to take the words and the sentences of the translation as close as possible from that original text. Dynamic equivalence is based upon the idea that what we need to communicate, 
and this goes back a little bit to what Sai was expressing a few minutes ago, what we need to communicate is what the text is actually saying. So to use an example that's sometimes given, if I'm going to prepare a Bible for the people who live along the Aleutian Islands, instead of talking about lambs, I might want to talk about seals. They know seals a lot better than they know lambs because they know nothing about sheep. And so some have suggested, well, what we need to do then is to take the ideas that are difficult from the original language and to present them in the host language, the translation language, in such a way that the people who read it will understand it in their own language. Any good translation is intended to bring the source language into the receptor language as close to that source as possible. However, the concept of translation has changed a lot and it's led us into areas where some questionable things have resulted. And among those questionable things are, is it all right if I be more concerned about what the reader is thinking than what the original writer was thinking. That kind of thinking that is prevalent now, uh, sort of a most postmodern kind of thinking, basically says it's more important for me to worry about what I think when I read it than what was originally hmm. meant. Right. And that's a problem because the original author is God. And God wanted to communicate a message to us, a message that we desperately need to have. He did it through human authors. He has brought about the process with original languages that were human languages. He's brought about the process of our receiving it through uh, protecting, through all of these manuscripts of his scripture, those things that we need to know, that we might have God's word. So now... When we're translating God's word, what is the best way for us to go about doing it? And that's the question that we're really dealing with today. So I, I always use a different, um, I don't, I've never heard your seal and lamb analogy before. I always use a much more, um, a, a lower, <laughs> a lower analogy. Um, I know this, this, idiom is not in the scripture, so that's why I use it. Um, but I, I say, if the scripture said that somebody kicked the bucket, mm -hmm. um, how would you translate that? Right. You know, how would you translate that? And so the more word for word would translate it, they kicked the yeah. bucket, bucket, you right. know, but you would know that they're not actually saying anything about kicking or a bucket. And so the, the phrase by phrase or idiomatic translation, a dynamic equivalent would be they passed away or they died. Um, but the passing away or dying is not anywhere in the words that are used in that phrase. Yes. And so uh, a better translation of that phrase is they died. Yes. That's a better translation of the essence of that phrase. But I would still prefer they kick the bucket. 
and and allow for the context to show that it's saying that they died, right? That's what I would prefer. But I have to admit that they died is a better translation. Right. The, the danger, like you're talking about, is if you are translating the idiom, often you're translating it directionally into one meaning uh, that's a, a a a more defined meaning in the in the host language than maybe the idiom actually meant in the original language mm. do you see what i'm what i'm yes. saying mm-hmm. so it it may be that what you're tr- that what you're trying to communicate more clearly actually communicates a more defined um, idiom than was intended originally. And while that's what it means to you as you're translating it, it it misses parts of what the original idiom actually was saying. So it's not like it's a wrong translation, but you're missing, you're missing the, the broadness maybe of the original mm. idiom. Yes. So, so that's where uh, cons- the more conservative typically you get in translation, the more word for word you'd like to stay. Right. And, and some of the changes that take place are really more substantial than others. Right. Like kick, um, kick, if you kick had the, kicked kick the, the bucket, bucket is, is, the, is, is not in the Bible. That's <laughs> not, not that's not Bible. one. <laughs> but if you had something that was equivalent, say a Hebrew expression, um, to kick the bucket, and you wanted to bring it into English so it was understandable to the vast variety of readers, if you're not concerned about the fact that it literally said kick the bucket, which, you know, is fascinating in itself, and certainly would be worthy of having in a very formal translation, mm-hmm. um, you are going to use died. But if you have, for example, uh, by his blood, as an expression that's used in the original Greek, right. and it's translated by his death, they're not equivalent. Right. There is where we, we end up having a problem in some of the paraphrases, for example, is if you take liberties with what the original text, text said, right. you may actually be making right. doctrinal right. differences that are not something you'd want to make. Well, that's, that's, that's one area where you're, you're actually more defining um, because by his blood, it, it, it is talking about his death, but you're missing the whole application from the Old Testament sacrifice. Right. You know, you're, you're kind of... You're missing a part portion of that picture by yeah. defining it with death there, you know. So I, I I agree with that 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 sometimes our our idiomatic translation overdefines. Yes. You know, overdefines by by trying to help we overhelp. Yeah. And, and and there's a there's a flip side to this too, and I, I think it's important for us to mention that we we could look at the the illustration that either one of us used. I, right. I, I'm going to go back to the uh, the cultural issue of the Aleut who is uh, presented with teachings about an animal he doesn't even know exists. Mm-hmm. 
Um, to be honest with you, one of the things that we did in Japanese is to teach about sheep and lambs and raising sheep, that whole culture, uh, for many reasons, not just because we wanted to make sure that they understood what it meant when we talked about raising sheep, because that's not something they do in Japan, but also for another reason, and that is that the whole utilization throughout Scripture of the concept right. of sheep and shepherds and everything to do with that lifestyle is significant. It's important enough that it even is used in an expression like, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right. To understand that phrase that John used, we have to understand what yep. sheeps and shepherding Sheep and shepherding is all about. Right. I've never sheared a sheep. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, so I, I think there's maybe the majority of the world has not been around a, a sheep, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So um, that would be not just, uh, you know, something that would be, I, certainly I've seen sheep and I know what they are, but I, I've not experienced it like a shepherd. Right. So I, ha I have to learn of that as well. And so I think that uh, it goes to varying degrees. But I, I see what you're saying of the translation would be more readily accepted to change that altogether, mm -hmm. um, but probably not, probably not healthy. It would, it, wouldn't, it would not allow you to take vast portions of Scripture right. and make sense out of them. You literally, yeah. I mean, just using that as a silly example— if I were to substitute uh, a, uh, a sea animal of any kind, a seal for a sheep, how much new Bible would I have to write right. in order to be able to substitute that animal for a sheep? Yeah. I literally would have to rewrite the Bible right. in order to do that. So in the versions of the Bible that we have today... Um, there, we, we have many great translations. Mm -hmm. uh, we prefer all. I prefer some over others. You prefer some over others. So I'm sure we're going to get to side. Um, but we would all three of us agree that there are some really good translations, mm -hmm. and we wouldn't mind um, people reading from ones we don't prefer, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that they, uh, in a sense, they get to the same truth whichever of those translations they would use. So from last time, we saw that the copies of the transcripts would have some differences and that the transcripts that some of the translations that we have are from different uh, texts, some different families. Mm -hmm. And so there are a few small differences. Um, and, and there's some bad, really awful accusations that you'll see online and everywhere, um, like that the NIV is taking the Lordship of Christ out of the Bible because they don't have the word Lord in this listing, and it just says Jesus. It doesn't say the Lord Jesus or mm -hmm. all these kind of things. But then it does say the Lord a hundred other times in that same you know, in, a, in the same book. Um, and so that's just completely unfair of those assessments. Um, and so 
Um, we would not be King James only people at all. Mm-hmm. Um, we think the King James is a good translation. Absolutely. We would have some problems with some of the translation in it, mm-hmm. but I prefer it in some places as well. Uh, so, but uh, it, none of the translations we're going to talk about do we think are attacking the truths of the scriptures. Yeah. They've, all, they've all attempted to share the truth of the scripture. There are some Bibles that have tried to morph the truth of the scripture, mm. and those are dangerous, right? Um, but uh, for you to spend your time attacking the NIV or attacking the um, CSB or attacking the King James, it's just, it's just pointless, yeah. right? It's just pointless. I right? think it might be helpful, in fact, for us to take to lift this whole problem out of our American or our, our Western issue mm. uh, and and look at it right. from a completely <laughs> different perspective. Let's yeah. look at the Japanese translations. Yeah. The first Japanese translation that was done, that was of the whole Bible, was done in the 19th century. Millions uh, of people who became believers through the utilization of that Bible have memorized the scriptures if from that Bible. Mm-hmm. They love that Bible. Right. That is their Bible. Yep. And when a new sh- the translation, the Shinkaiaku, came along, there were many attacks made against that translation. Yep. Because it was not the original translation, the best translation, the first translation. Uh, and a lot of older people, especially, objected to that strenuously. But what about the younger people? Well, the younger people could understand it. They couldn't understand the older one. <laughs> they honestly got to the place where after enough generations went by, the average young person reading that first Bible simply shrugged their shoulders and said, this is Japanese, but it's a Japanese so different than what we use today. I can't understand it. So I'm glad we have this new translation, a good translation based upon the the texts, close to those texts that is understandable. And then along came some newer translations. Mm -hmm. And those who had supported this one didn't like these as much. And it often has to do with those, what have I memorized? What am I familiar with? Where have I been all my life? Uh, Kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Rather than the accuracy or the utilization and utility of those new translations. I like the story you've told before of getting a letter from supporting family or church or something asking you which version of the bible you use and knowing that it was from a king james setting and you i'm sure you graciously because you're always so gracious about it wrote back that you use the japanese version (laughs) and uh yeah sometimes we get so caught up in that uh that uh cultural preference that we miss the underlying uh foundational truth yes you know 
Um, and so uh, it is important that we stick to the truth. That is Absolutely. important, right? Um, but then uh, beyond that, um, we can have preferences. And, right. and uh, so uh, and, I, I think and that's we good. Need to, we need to be careful, Dan, I think. Uh, and Sai, you might find this interesting. We need to be careful about even some of the things that we cling to that will ultimately prove to be embarrassing to our position. Um, a good example of that with the King James Version is that if you go back to the very first King James Bible that was ever published, it, will have, it was published in script that was difficult to read, and it included all of the Old Testament books that we referred to earlier as being apocryphal. So within the very first copies that came off the press of the King James Bible, those books were included. Now, if we want to really say, was that an accurate Bible? Yes, it was in every way. It even accurately translated the apocryphal books that were in the Old Testament. But none of us would have argued for the apocryphal books to be in the Old Testament right. to begin with. And, most and of in the, later translation right. or later versions, the more difficult writing was changed. Many changes have been made over the hundreds of years mm -hmm. since the King James Version was translated. So if we put all of our eggs in that one basket, a lot of our eggs are going to get damaged. Right. And most of the proponents of a King James only setting would not agree with the Apocrypha. Right. Right. I mean, That's so, correct. so it's, it's uh, certainly we're not, we're not uh, casting that aspersion on them. We're, no. we're agreeing with them and that they wouldn't agree with that setting as well. So. Yes. Okay. So dynamic versus formal equivalence, both can be beneficial. Um, but both have their limitations. So dynamic equivalence would have the limitation that it might over, um, over translate, missing some of the uh, hue of the original by trying to over define it in the in the new language. But the formal has a hard time capturing the essence of it in the new language because mm -hmm. it's trying to stick to word to word to word and you sometimes miss the meaning of the syntax you said formal both times but the oh, first example the dynamic was sorry dynamic, the dynamic over defines over yeah. over defines sometimes and the formal misses the meaning of it sometimes in the receptor in the receptor language because right. it's trying to define the the words and it becomes choppy in what it's actually saying right sometimes right? right so both have their weaknesses and that's not a problem with the bible that's a, just a problem with translation uh yvonne she has words that she'll say in japanese and i'll say what's that mean and she's like ah, there's not really a good word in english mm -hmm. for that you know yeah and uh so uh, and then she'll say seven or eight words and those those seven or eight words don't have anything to do with one another and i'm like well, what you know um so uh, you know uh, there's just some 
things in one language are hard to translate directly into another language. And so it's that way. You yeah. know? But Sai, here's a question that I have for you. If, if you were to select among the many translations that are available today, one translation that you really enjoy reading, what would it be? Um, I think I, I think I think all three of us are this way. It uh, that, that's a difficult question because I really I enjoy prepping for teaching out of the NASB. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if I had to choose one, I think I'd choose the ESV. Um, but then one that I have enjoyed a lot recently is the is the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I fe- I feel like it translates poetry really well, and that's yeah. something that I that. I don't read poetry very well, and so I enjoy. So, uh, to say one Bible, I think would be would be difficult for me. I, and I think I think a lot of us are there, That's right. uh, kind of in those preferences that we have. That it kind of is because we because we have a great selection of translations. We have the opportunity to choose different translations for different things. Yes. Uh, and and even just out of frame on on looking at you guys, if you seen you two, I, I have a little shelf when I shelves up there that has a whole bunch of different Bibles that they aren't all the Bibles that I have, but I have uh, an ESV and an NIV and a newer or older NIV and a KJV. And a, so I have you know, all of them there that, I, that so I can use all of them as I can sure. read how different translations translate different things. Yep. And that's one of the nice things about having so many different translations and paraphrases like the message, is that it does give us the ability in our own devotions and in our preparation for teaching Mm -hmm. to uh, move through them and get those things that will help us in our understanding best. I think it's funny. Um, I know know you walk into this as well. There's times when I I teach from the uh, NASB 95. I'm still in 95. I haven't – I've got a 2020, but I haven't made the jump there uh, in all that I do publicly yet. Um, but the, I'll be reading the text from the NASB and I can't stop my brain from jumping to quoting the King James Mm. in the middle of a text. Uh And so I'll just, I'll be, I'll actually be reading, reading along in the NASB and somehow my brain just starts saying the King James. And so it, uh, it gets me in trouble sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, having those comparisons between the translations is really, is really fine. Uh, you know, um, and so it's funny in, in our church, I think there's a mix of people. There are people who want to have exactly what I'm reading so that they're not distracted yes. from, from what I'm talking through. And then there are other people who really enjoy having the a, a different translation so that they can see um, what you know what the NIV translated it as instead of the NASB as we're talking through it. So I think it's it's interesting the different takes on on some of that. I think it's good for us to stop for a moment and be thankful that through the thousands of years. Um, there have been men and women who have been willing to devote themselves to the process of translating Scripture into their own languages uh, or into the languages of others, even at the cost of their own lives. Um, 
I think as we look back at, at Wycliffe and, and Tyndale and others before the King James Version even came into existence, when uh, the threat was there of death for having made translations into the common language because there was even a thought in the earlier centuries of the church that the common people shouldn't have the Bible right. in their own language. They should le learn Latin in order to be able to read the Bible or just listen as it is read. What a privilege it is for a person who is in a language group where there may be no more than 10,000, even fewer, actual people who know and speak and read and can understand that written language receive for the first time in their hands a translation of the scriptures, where that person is taught how to read his own language mm -hmm. out of the Bible and for the first time really is able to appreciate the Word of God by reading it themselves. Bible translations are a tremendous blessing yep. that God has given us. And we can be thankful that the same God who's given us Bible translations, given us his word to begin with, is a God who loves language. He gave language to us. Right. And for those who want to say that languages are so different that there's no way that we can really translate between them, I would say that's not true because God has given us the capability of not undoing Babel, if you will, but going a long way toward it yeah. because translations can be extremely well done. So just to set out some, some faithful translations, the more formal equivalent, uh, the more word-for-word -word translations that, that are uh, readily acceptable, King James, New King James, ESV, the English Standard Version, and the, the New American Standard Bible, um, those those four are are pretty formal equivalent. I think the NASB of those is probably the most of the word for word of those. That's that's probably why we would prefer it, um, uh, right? You do prefer the yes. NASB, right? Um, and uh, we like it because it's the word for word, which pushes us to to pursue then what the meaning is and teach from that. Mm -hmm. It is not the most readable of them, though. And so typically when I'm talking to a new believer, I end up recommending either an ESV or an NIV because they are more readable yes. uh, than the NASB. But I prefer the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. The, the, the ones that are more of the dynamic equivalence, more toward the dynamic equivalence, um, the Christian Standard Bible, what used to be called the Holman Christian Standard Bible, um, those are very... The Christian Standard Bible is the updated version of the Holman, and they're, they're, they are very similar. Uh, those are the official Southern Baptist Convention Bible, right? And that, that's accurate, isn't it? And then the NIV. The NIV is the, is, um, the King James is still the most popular Bible mm -hmm. out there. The NIV is by, is by far the second most popular Bible. And uh, of, of the more of the modern translations, it is by far the most popular, and it has the most options if you're going to buy a Bible um, for you. And it is a good translation. The newer translation does have uh, brothers and sisters instead of brethren in there, mm -hmm. and the newer NASB has brothers and sisters instead of just brothers in there. 
Um, but it, it's okay. Um, you know, it's, I don't think the church needed it to say anything other than brethren. We knew it meant everybody, um, but it's okay. Um, and it's in italics, so it's, it's all right. Um, but the NIV is a good translation. People have, have said bad things about it. People have accused it, and it's still the most popular uh, modern translation, and it's, it's good. Um, I think when you get to the real dynamic equivalents, they're still beneficial, but you do need to read them in a way that recognizes they're, an equiv- they're a dynamic equivalence, and they're not word for word. And so the Living Bible, the New Living Translation, they say the New Living Translation isn't quite as much of a dynamic equivalence, but I, from what I've read, it still is pretty much that way. Good News Bible, New Jerusalem Bible, and there's some others that are right. that way. Again, they're fine to read. Just recognize that they're, uh, they're not word for word. That's not what they're doing. And then to step beyond that, you would have paraphrase where it'd be the message and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, but, um, you know, as, um, King James, New King James, ESV, NASB, um, Christian Standard Bible, NIV. I mean, that gives you, that gives you six options right there right. of, of right. good English translations of scripture that you could choose from, um, that, you know, would be a faithful, um, options of truth uh, for you to uh, to look at and there, and there are some others but those are six really good ones that you could do so and remember that when you're reading the Bible and you come across a passage that may be a little bit difficult to understand sometimes it's because the translation you're using is trying to stay as close as it can mm-hmm. to the original text and as a result if it's a difficult idea it might not come across in just simple English. Right. Where if, it, if it's a dynamic equivalent Bible, it will be more concerned with getting ideas from the text and bringing them over into contemporary language. Mm-hmm. So it may seem much easier to read that simply because it's more leaning toward the receptor language, English in our case. Right. Okay, one weird thing that I just want to say the ESV the pace of it as you read it the pace of it matches the King James mm. to me I it it's not the same words it's definitely a different translation but as I read it it's like the same rhythm as the King James which I don't know it could be just my reading of it but the NASB is definitely not the same rhythm you know it's definitely not the same pace Yes. I don't know. I don't know how it, it could just be me, but I don't know how they did that because it's not the same wording in a lot of places. But it seems to be um, well, this the, the same kind of pace of reading. This may not be the exact reason that you get that feeling, yeah. but it certainly is a reason, and that is that a version that is done in England is going to feel a little oh, different yeah. than a version that is done in the right. United You're States. Right. Yeah. And I you know, it's just one of those interesting characteristics even within a that language. And this is this is very important for us to keep in mind. When we're reading the Old Testament, we're reading it in English. If we were reading it in Hebrew, how would we read it? Well, we'd read Hebrew. I mean, that's simple. Yeah. But is Hebrew a living language? Yes. 
Did Hebrew change from the time of Moses mm. to the time of Nehemiah? Yes. <laughs> so it's not as simple as we might think when we come to the issue of, of how a language changes within itself. Uh, and, and we go from, from a, uh, a playwright, William Shakespeare, who wrote around King James England time to English as we speak it today, or English as it's spoken in England, or as it's spoken in Australia. We're talking about several different versions mm -hmm. of English. And so I think that dialect differences will often come through in the translation. Right, right. yeah. So it's interesting. I, I think one of the great things is that we can have um, we can have confidence in the in the sharing of uh, of scripture, um, and um, in enjoy really enjoy the translations. You know, uh, it's 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 a great benefit we have to have these translations with us and uh, able to um, have the options for good, faithful translations of scripture. Right, Absolutely. and so as we started the the original, the original documents, the original writings, are what were inspired, and from that we have preserved faithful copies that are that are organized into uh, groupings, which become texts that we have Hebrew and Greek texts from that are then translated into different languages that are go around all, all the world. And we have faithful uh, copies of translations that we can rest on in uh, in the scriptures. That's good. Sai, so anything uh, anything there for more uh, more modern look at things? Any any take on the newer translations from from you? I, I, you're a, you're a pretty uh, traditional traditional young person when it comes yeah. to the translation stuff so maybe you're not the best one to ask about that yeah uh no i i i like uh my problem is i i think we're the same reason that you stay in the with the 95 nasb so far yeah i have found ones that i like and mm -hmm. i don't see a reason to switch yeah <laughs> um but the uh yeah the only uh the only addition that i you know they talk about Kind of, kind of random, but they talk about with you know kids like it, you see your your worst, you know you see your worst qualities out of them. You get frustrated with them because they're like you, you know. Right. And uh, now that I'm a youth pastor, I uh, all the all the years that I forgot my Bible <laughs> and uh, you know happened to read about you know a donkey mm -hmm. out of the KJV, and uh, now I'm a youth pastor and I get to uh, you know explain you know, stop kids from reading the KJV as we're reading about uh, you know Balaam and the, right. the talking donkey. Talking donkey. So, uh, That's right. It's a it's a funny. It's a funny thing of I uh, I feel bad for yeah. for Steve Hoofer after uh, you know years of yeah. my uh, orneriness. Right. That's right. Yeah, that's what my, you know. Um, so my dad worked through this whole thing. I know we're running out of time. My dad worked through this whole thing. He he would say he would have said that he basically learned to read, reading the King James Bible mm -hmm. as an adult. So mm -hmm. he didn't he didn't really know how to read that well. Um, and so after he came to Christ, he read the scriptures, and he, so he loved the King James Bible. Yes. And he actually had to work through this. Uh, wh what Bible are we going to use, and what is, what is the faithful copy of the scripture? What does it mean? And, and he really had to work through this whole thing. And, and uh, it, was, it was neat to see 
both the the difficulty of it for him because of his love for his love for the scriptures which which remained yes but how that was attached to the to the king james the some of the onslaught of false truth that false statements that were out there that fed that mm-hmm. that uh, and then his rejection of those of those things of of no that's what you know that's not actually true those things are not actually true and what's important is the truth of the scriptures and whether it's translated in Shakespearean English or whether it's translated in 1990 English it's still the truth and uh, so it was really neat to see him walk through that um, at at uh, at an age that most people wouldn't change, mm-hmm. and he's not he wasn't one that would readily <laughs> adapt. <laughs> uh, we can have, but the scriptures, the level of the scriptures was too important to him. It, of course, it was. You it know. was. It was, and that's the thing that is so thrilling for us. Right, is that um, even if a person is reading on the phone as they're going through their their message on Sunday morning, right. uh, which is not my favorite. I would rather have this on my lap yep. than a phone in front of me. Even if they're reading on their phone, if they have a good translation of the Word of God before them, God the Holy Spirit can utilize that Word and yep. that message right. to, to accomplish His purpose in their lives. Aren't we thankful that uh, we have available to us such a wealth of Scripture when there are people around the world who are dying without any availability of the Scriptures to be in their hands? Um, it's, it's beyond imagination that uh, we are so blessed with these, and may God put it on our hearts to continue to reach out to those who don't have the Scriptures that they might know Him. That's right. Well, thank you so much for taking in Three Gens Theology, and uh, appreciate you taking part in this. Uh, comment, review, uh, email us, let us know what you're, what you're thinking, what you're taking in. And uh, we, again, post these every Monday morning. And we love talking about the Scriptures uh, with you and with each other. Um, it is a precious thing that we have. Don't allow this precious truth to just uh, sit there on your coffee table and yes. collect dust, but instead uh, open it up, take in its truth, and uh, put it to practice in your life.